HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. I think uh, first Iron Chef in studio, Jose Garces. Thank you for being on. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and you're dressed in your Iron Chef wear, as I see. I'm always <laughs> ready for battle. Um, we're here because you have this amazing new book out, uh, The Latin Road Home, which we'll talk about during this episode. But it was a long road <laughs> to, to, to arrive at this uh, culmination. Absolutely, it's been a uh, it's been a great run. Uh, I've had uh, had a wonderful time getting here, and I'm still still alive, still like <laughs> <laughs> alive to talk about. Yeah, it. Uh, upbringing in Chicago, Ecuadorian parents. What was the cuisine like? What was the cooking like? What what, what did you eat and savor? I ate uh, really great ceviches. Uh, my mom was a fan of the shrimp ceviche in particular. Um, but also empanadas, uh, locros, uh, fritada, really traditional Ecuadorian staples. What, were those, what are the potato patties called with the cheese? Lapingachos. Yeah, so many letters I didn't even try to uh, <laughs> venture <laughs> the into double that. L will yeah. get you every time. <laughs> but, I mean, was there an Ecuadorian uh, community in Chicago growing up? There was. There was actually a handful of... Um, Ecuadorians, at least my, my parents had a handful of Ecuadorian friends, couples who uh, we would get together on a regular basis. And, you know, we would, you know, that was part of my Ecuadorian upbringing was, you know, having these experiences with uh, the small Ecuadorian community that, that is in Chicago. And tell me how important is crispy pork to an Equ- Ecuadorian's diet? Crispy pork is, is like, like you have, it has to be perfect. It has to be crispy. It has to be. Uh, succulent on the inside, and if you don't do it in that way, you'll be chastised. Yeah, is it called carnitas or no? Uh, it's called fritada. Yeah, or uh, in Peru they call it a chicharron. 
but we know it as either in Ecuador as fritada or ornado. Yeah, we were just talking about your wife is Cuban. Yes. Um, about lechon, you know, a large pig cooked in a cajachina. Sure. Um, with all these different iterations of crispy pig, in a sense, uh, from Latin America, do you have a favorite? Uh, well, I I do like the Cuban style, but they're all like like Latin cultures in general. Uh, they have many things that are in common, but there are specific techniques and and ways that things are prepared that are unique to those different Latin countries. Uh, I think, you know, my, one of my favorite of, of late is definitely the Cuban style, which is roasted in a cajachina. We roasted a uh, 270 pound swines <laughs> on Monday in in a celebration of the launch of the Latin road home. And uh, I think the pig itself is delicious, but I love the sides that go with it. I love the black beans, the tostones, the steamed yuca, the sour orange mojo that are, Cuban staples and uh, one that you know a, a Cuban wouldn't wouldn't be Christmas without having their lechon asado. Yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned these sides, uh, um, and they're analogous throughout Latin America. You see beans, you see you know yuca and cassava and different roots throughout those different countries, but uh, the techniques and the, the flavor profiles change. You cooked in Spain, which was a starting point for you know exploring Latin cuisine. Um, where did you cook, and how did that inform your palate? Well, when I was in Spain, I cooked at a um, upon finishing culinary school in 1996. I went. Oh, Yo, you didn't have to give away your age. Sorry. <laughs> Everybody's safe here. <laughs> well, uh, I'm still a young man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I went to a, a place called. Um, La Taberna del Alabardero. It's a Spanish restaurant that was owned by a priest, uh, Juan Lazama, and he had three restaurants, uh, one in Marbella, Madrid, and Sevilla. And, uh, you know, at that point, I was still a young cook, kind of just fresh, a little wet behind the ears, and uh, was just interested in, in learning about Spanish cuisine and learning um, about their culture. And I guess that first experience was really an enlightenment. It was it was a place in which I, I learned about regionalities of cooking. And, you know, even in the kitchen, there was cooks from... Um, Cooks from the north, cooks from the south, uh, you know the, and then you know there's obviously political issues in Spain, and so even in that, at that point, I was like feeling like, yeah. like caught in in between a crossfires <laughs> in the, in this kitchen. But uh, it was uh, it was just great to see uh, the way they organized their kitchen, more of a European style, a brigade, like kind of very uh, rigid, and uh, yeah, it just it was just a point in my career where I was a sponge just kind of soaking in all of the different flavors of Spain. Yeah. Do you feel like you brought something to the table that other cooks didn't? Because y- you had a paternal grandmother who was an excellent cook and she taught you plenty in the kitchen. Uh, were you allowed to show those influences? No, they actually had no no interest in what <laughs> I had what what I had to bring yeah. to the table. They were like, they were teaching me and, and I was happy to be their student. I mean, we had for family meal paella pretty much every day but several different versions you know the black squid ink a saffron uh, a a red rice or a cuttlefish paella and those those kind of experiences those staff meals that i had with you know cooking with spanish chefs were the ones that i brought back to my first restaurant amada spanish restaurant And, and those influences those experiences are ones that are truly invaluable so amada 
which is located in Philadelphia. Yes. Um, it's Andalusian. So yes. you talk about regional. Um, I, I actually was taught Andalusian Spanish, mm. and it was great because I had a speech impediment, and I think two go in hand in hand sometimes. Yeah. Um, but Andalusian cuisine uh, is different than Spanish cuisine and how. Uh, well, it has a, a big uh, Moroccan or Moorish influence. So you see a lot more lamb, uh, some stone fruits, and uh, you know almonds, and it's just uh, you know the, it basks in the sun. So the ingredients are, are a little bit different, and it also you know they say the birth it's the birthplace of tapas. So you see a lot of uh, great tapas bars. But as I learned throughout my years of traveling to Spain, uh, tapas are are everywhere, and every every region has its own specialty yeah and philly prior to that did it have tapas or did it just have uh cheesesteaks with whiz uh cheesesteaks with whiz crab cakes and caesar salads yeah. so i came and uh you know i was just excited to be sharing some of the the foods that i'd grown up eating and, and some of the experiences so i looked at the landscape and there were zero spanish restaurants not nothing you couldn't find any any jamón ibérico or any uh, gambas al ajillo. And so when we opened the Mata in 2005, it was kind of a revelation to, to folks. Wow, this you know this small plate thing is, is great, and I love smoked paprika. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, let's actually talk about the cooks in your kitchen. Um, I think there's this misconception that a lot of, you know, guns for hire, uh, mercenary chefs uh, in and around, you know, the northeast in the country are Mexican. There are yeah. a lot of Ecuadorians in the kitchen. There are, but you know what? The Ecuadorians are here in New York, actually. Yeah. There's, I, I believe, a pretty nice uh, Ecuadorian community here. Mostly in Philly, we have uh, Mexican cooks that are from Puebla. Oh, yeah. So if you're, uh, if you walk into pretty much any kitchen in Philly and you ask a Mexican cook where they're from, they're going to tell you they're from Puebla. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, seeing that diversity already... Uh, you opened up other restaurants, Chifa, which uh, dealt more with what Latin. Uh, it's a uh, Peruvian, Peruvian yeah. uh, Chinese uh, distrito, which is uh, Mexican, and I had uh, a lot of Mexican influence growing up in Chicago. It was a huge Mexican, one of the hu- biggest Mexican populations in the in the U.S. And um, well, we went we went to a lot of different places. We opened uh, Garces Trading Company, which was old world inspired, so cuisines from France, Italy, and Spain. Uh, village whiskey, burger, and bourbon, two of my favorite combination of things. And uh, JG Domestic, which is kind of a farm. I hate to use the word farm to table, <laughs> but, you know, we we bought a farm out in Bucks County. We're growing vegetables, and we're serving yeah, it there. Artisan so. American. Artisan yeah. American. Oh, I like that. I'm going to use that. Yeah, you, you can have it. Um, Tinto, too. You know, oh, <laughs> you have too many restaurants. Forget about Tinto. Yeah, and Tinto was actually an interesting story because – we were doing research for Mata and continued research in, in the Spain. And when I stumbled in, um, into San Sebastian and La Parte Vieja, the, the old part, and, and had like a true pincho experience and then went to some of the great like Michelin-starred restaurants like Arzac or Beresategui or um, Mugaritz, I was really inspired and I, I couldn't help but like come back to Philadelphia and open this Basque inspired restaurant and uh yeah i'm glad i did yeah so i mean you have those influences from being over in spain and basque country like distrito did you did you talk to your chefs in your kitchen and uh draw ideas from them or flavor profiles actually for distrito uh i have to go back 
pre pre uh Pre Ahmad, I opened a restaurant called Elvez for another restaurateur, uh, Steven Starr, when, when I was in Philly. And um, I had already started to draw upon my Chicago influences. So while I was in culinary school, Rick Bayless was there. Like, you know, he was kind of like the, the hot shit. He was, he was doing it. He was, uh, let's just say, a white guy cooking Mexican <laughs> food. So, but he was doing it really well, very informed, obviously. And, uh, so I started to draw upon that, a lot of Mexican experiences that I had that I had growing up, whether it was just eating Mexican food late night or or, or any time of day, and and then um, we opened El Vez in two thousand three, and I just I think I just started to scratch the surface with it, and when I left Star, I knew that I was going to go back to Mexican cuisine, and uh, we decided to go to Mexico City. Um, my chef de cuisine and I and just had the best time enjoying all these different Mexican street foods. I mean, it, it was just the experience was was mouthwatering. Let me just, yeah. And um, and I brought those experiences along with the influences of our Mexican cooks. So uh, we kind of like brought it all together and Distrito was born. Yeah. Well, what's amazing is in this newest book, The, the Latin Road Home, Seeing those travels and how they inform your restaurants and your palate. Your, your first book, Latin Evolution, was more of an introduction of yourself to uh, you know the cookbook community and uh, the greater dining scene. But this is so site-specific. Um, what are the places that you visited in this book, and why did you choose those locations? Um, they all kind of have a common thread. Uh, they're, they're places that, whether they're uh, familial or just places that inspired my cooking uh i I look back on on the different travel log and travel experiences that i had so those experiences are the ones that um have informed my cooking and i wanted to to bring to light but we go to peru and peru was uh i had some peruvian we had some peruvian friends growing up and they were very influential on my er early childhood and so when it was time to open chifa and I actually went to, I went to Chifa with the thought, went to Peru with the thought that I was going to find this fusion of Chinese and Peruvian cuisine. Why like, Chinese? Uh, you know, I think at that point in my career, I was, I, I hate to say I was bored, but I was just <laughs> looking for something exciting. And um, I just thought that, you know, gosh, the, the marriage of those two cuisines, what a, what a great idea. Yeah. And um, we went to Peru and looked for this fusion. And what we found was... Chinese restaurants in Peru. <laughs> so, <laughs> we were kind of it was it took us back a little bit and we're like okay well let's let's go back and we'll we'll do it ourselves. So Peru was uh from Cusco to Lima to Machu Picchu which was really spiritual. Uh we the food experiences we had from rustic to also really elevated cuz uh there's a few chefs who had obviously traveled the world and gone back and really elevated the the cuisine, whether it was uh, Gaston Acurio or uh, Pedro Miguel Schifano, there, there we found in South America, in Peru, some chefs who were doing really modern techniques and applying those techniques to this rustic cuisine. And uh, it was truly inspiring. And I think that 
that can also occur in Ecuador at some point. And so that, that, that hasn't happened there. I haven't seen it, at least when I've traveled there recently. Yeah, so. no, it's interesting talking about that high-low. Um, but what's even more interesting to me is we're talking about these five locations, but you have subsets within each chapter, too. Because it's not just about being in Peru. It's about being in Lima and the Tiradito there. You know, that there is regional cuisine in these smaller countries. Oh, uh, well, oh absolutely. Not well, even smaller countries. I mean, some, some are large, large countries. Yeah, I think... You know, there's 43 million people that live in Peru. And so whether you're talking about the coastal cuisine or where you have this great, like, ceviche culture, when it's like, you know, the ceviche has to be done a certain way in Peru. It has to have key limes. It has to have salt. It has to have ricotto chilies. And so those those experiences on the coast are much different than ones you'll find inland. And, um, for instance, in, in Ecuador, you'll... You'll go to La Sierra, and there you'll see a lot of hearty stews and 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 really slow cooked dishes that are so different than your coastal experience. Yeah, we're gonna take a quick break and travel through the rest of your Latin Road uh, travel log. You've been listening to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network We'll be right back. Awesome. Thank you. I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Welcome back to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Jose Garces. Uh, and we're talking about his book, uh, The Latin Road Home, and we're starting our journey uh, through Latin America. But before we move to another country, what does Latin mean to you? I think it's a misinterpreted, uh, it's not a misnomer, but umbrella term. I think Latin to me really means. Uh I guess more or less the the language, like you know, Sp- Spanish, the Spanish-speaking communities, and it, it's 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 more of a I don't know that it's necessarily a place than it is like a feeling, a, a, a it's a a dynamic of being Latino or, or or having this this Latin heritage. So, you know, it's it, it can be mis you know, Latin America, and we you know we talk about Spain, but is Spain really you know Latin American, not not necessarily. It's more European, obviously, but their influence on all the different cultures and cuisines uh, is pretty relevant. So I thought to include them there as well. Yeah, well, let's go to Spain. Let's go to Costa del Sol. Which sometimes <laughs> I like to think of as the German Miami of Spain. <laughs> but it's it's a amazing place. What at the south? Is it west or just south? Uh, well, Spain, I mean, in, in particular, Costa del Sol is south. So it's, uh, it's Andalusia, it's Malaga, it's uh, Marbella, Puerto Banus. And uh, it just seems very, um, it's, it's I, I like that, the German Miami. Yeah, that works. You get a lot of 
people that are visiting from uh, Holland or England on vacation, and it's it's a it's a party most of the time. Ajo blanco. Ajo blanco. Yes. Classic uh, white garlic and uh, white almond and garlic soup, uh, refreshing. Uh, and when I had it in, uh, whether it was ajo blanco or gazpacho, um, there was a mis I think a misinterpretation of it here in the U.S. as cooks were making it like almost like chunky style tomato soup. Yeah. When I had ajo blanco or gazpacho in Spain, made by Spanish cooks, it was it was a drink. It was actually served in a glass, and you had it in the morning or you had it uh, late afternoon. But it was refreshing. It had a little bite from the garlic, but it was meant to be, uh, yeah, just a refreshing starter. So let's go north, and I, I'm assuming my geography is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sevilla. Uh, Sevilla is a little north, but it's still Sevilla still has a little of the um, a little of the south. It's still considered a, a southern town, and it just starts to get a little more refined as you as you head north. You do the Calcots. The Calcots. Yeah. Well, gosh, if I I actually started growing my own Calcots because they weren't available in any markets. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, um, wild green onions, and uh, they're a little thicker. They're kind of in between, like a scallion and a leek, and they have uh, just the right amount of texture so that when you grill them whole, they kind of steam on the inside. And we uh, in the in the Latin Road home we we serve them with a traditional romesco sauce, and it's great to have an open fire when you're cooking these calcots. They get a nice char with some hay, yeah, a little hay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you do a calcatada? Do you do a vent uh, around the calcots? Uh, we serve them on all the menus, but uh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Let, let's travel a little bit to Barcelona. So Barcelona, obviously, uh, super cosmopolitan, very. Uh, design forward it's one of the most touristed towns and uh it was it was a place that when we opened uh mercat a la plancha in chicago was based on loosely based on the food of catalonia and barcelona you start seeing saffron you start seeing octopus with potatoes uh, in a confit um yeah. what are some of those dishes that you've brought back to the states with you uh well one of my favorites of that region is a um is a dish called arroz a la cazuela. And it's it's a hearty stew with rice, but it has some of my favorite things, uh, rabbit, chicken, chorizo. And it really uh, it embodies what Catalonia and Barcelona is all, all about, is this you know bringing of all these hearty ingredients into one, one pot and uh, yeah, coming up with this delicious kind of finesse. Yeah, yeah. Since I'm already full in Spain, thankfully we're ending in San Sebastian. Can I have some uh, pintos, you know, little bites. Sure. And uh, one of my favorite ways to dine, it's, uh, you know, the, the pincho experience that I had in La Parte Vieja is, is one in which I'll, I'll never forget. And I look forward to going back uh, as soon as possible. Great little bites. So in the book we have uh, bandarillas, which are um, melon wrapped with anchovies drizzled with a little olive oil or our duck montaditos which is uh duck confit that are wrapped in ham and griddled with a little la peral blue cheese and some um brandied soaked cherries Oof. good stuff yeah yeah no it seems pretty good so you have to you have to work it off a little bit by traveling all the way to mexico mm. so mexico uh seems autonomous sometimes as an entity when you talk about latin like it's its own thing what are the common threads well, I think that uh, you know, the Mexico, like 
many of the other Latin American countries were colonized by Spain for several hundreds of years. So those folks, uh, that Spanish influence, that you know, European uh, European spices ingredients, kind of made their way into this really Indian, you know, cuisine. And the fact that those uh, techniques and methods are still around several like thousands of years later then that, that's what you'll find in when i what i found in mexican cuisine was like the use of dry chilies the use of uh mortars and pestles and and just the, you know the fact that they were able to keep their traditions uh was great well what is the oldest recipe as far as like etymology goes that you found in mexico mm. <laughs> probably mole yeah and you know the the fact that they have the mole has so many different ingredients but and like 30 40 700 something yeah. crazy but it's the it's you know they the blend of uh the hard spices the dried fruits whether it's plantains apples uh the use of chocolate uh the fact that they refry these sauces or, or they they find um that refrying really in lard typically really brightens and brings about a whole new dimension of flavor was something interesting as a cook that I learned as I was exploring Mexico. Yeah. Um, And you're talking about regionality too. Veracruz is a part of Mexico, you know, coastal part of Mexico, a lot of fish, Um, but you don't get like tortillas and tacos and stuff like that. I mean, you do get some fish tacos. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's very... um very regional. Obviously, uh, being a coastal town, you'll eat a lot, lot more seafood, and uh, you know the traditional Huachinango um, a la Veracruzana really, really is a great way to look at Veracruz. It's it's a it's a fish, whole fish or snapper dish that's uh, roasted or grilled, but the sauce is is pretty complex. What it uh, it's a tomato-based sauce, but it has capers, jalapenos, sometimes raisins you'll find in it. And it's just really, um, it's unique. Yeah, and tortilla is delivered in soup. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, what can you say about the tortilla soup? I mean, it's it's a classic. It's in the book, and I think it's uh, it's one in which, you know, if you, if you make it, if you mess it up, you're like, you know, you shouldn't be cooking. <laughs> <laughs> um. I want to jump to Cuba because your wife is Cuban. Yep. Is she a good cook? You can out her right now if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She's pretty good, but since she's uh, married an Iron Chef, she relies on the Iron Chef a lot more than I'd like her to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we um, we cook together, and that, that's that's one way in which uh, we connect, we bond together as as a couple, just by uh, spending some time in the kitchen and. Her roots, though, so she was. She actually came to the U.S. when she was nineteen. She spent most of her early life in uh, in Cuba, and um, she brings to the table her staples. You know, you know whether it's rice and beans, black beans, red beans, tostones, yuca. That has been a big part of my my life the last ten years, and, and getting that influence from her is, uh, has been special. And well. Cuba is still hard for a lot of Americans to get in. Uh, obviously, you can go through Canada. But yep. you have Miami in this book. Uh, <laughs> explain why. Well, because there's a, you know, uh, there's a huge Cuban population in Miami, Miami obviously. And my, my in-laws uh, live there. And so we spend a lot of time getting back there. And I had some you know, really great, unique 
Cuban experiences in Miami, whether it's getting a uh, a delicious Cuban pressed Cuban sandwich, or going to the walk up um, Cuban coffee shop where you get croquettes or pasteles. Uh, it's just a it's an experience that that's unique to its own, and it's it's authentically Cuban in Miami. Yeah, what are some places that you frequent in Miami? Uh, there is a place called La Carreta, and they actually have one in the airport. It's a pretty pretty uh <laughs> kind of look forward to going back to the Mi- Miami airport and it's it's a place where you can go get a completa which is a, a complete meal and it's you know it's steam tables but it's really good steam tabled food it's uh you know usually yellow rice black beans some protein uh braised braised chicken crispy pork and I mean, you just can't you can't go wrong <laughs> best airport eating uh, yeah. <laughs> you can you can imagine so going to ecuador i mean you didn't make many trips as a child with your parents uh when you returned to ecuador for this book what was that experience like well it was one in which i'm, I'm not one to like go and uh and sit in somebody's uh, dining room or, or living room couch and hang out. And that, when I say that, I mean my my family. So I'm not, so what we did was we we put together a brunch and I brought together all of my aunts and uncles because there's still quite a few there and uh, had this kind of celebratory uh, brunch and I got to see everyone and, and and experience who they are and as Ecuadorians and I hadn't been back in about 15 years so it was quite you know quite an enlightening experience but post the family piece we went to uh, a great place called la hacienda suleta and actually the the cover of the latin road home is uh hacienda suleta and what an inspiring place this was prior to us owning a farm and we picked up a lot of things from the hacienda and the hacienda has had its own garden they had about 300 head of cattle uh it was also a Condor Preservation Center. They were feeding condors who have been endangered uh, in Ecuador because they were they've been hunted, uh, and it was also a ranch, so a lot of horseback riding. And the best part was oh, and they also made cheese. So this this place was was pretty special, and uh, the food was was incredible. All the meals, every hundred percent of the food came from the farm, and to have well gifted very gifted ecuadorian cooks cooking three squares for you every day was was amazing and and the flavors the textures the just getting back in touch with ecuadorian food was was inspiring in the, in this setting yeah uh, is your family from quito because we talked about those things already you know the ceviche de camarones uh, uh, fritada and uh, las cosas finas um, yeah. but some of the other places salinas I don't know where that is or what the experience there yeah. is like. Yeah. Well, I was uh I went back this past uh past winter and um Salinas is on the coast and my wife and I had explored uh the north. We explored uh La Hacienda Suleta, which is north of Quito, and we went to um Cotopaxi, which was a volcano that was south of Quito. So this past year we decided we picked a picked a spot on the map on the coast. And uh, we were in a, a little town called, a little fishing town called La Entrada. And in La Entrada, it was, it was a really humble town of about 100 people, a fishing village, small markets. I had my kids there with me, so they got to, they got to experience what that life 
was all about. And that was, I think, a great, great experience for them. But the fishing that was going on was amazing. Uh, we saw fishermen out uh, capturing shrimp, but also uh, they call this, uh, they do a lot of mariscadas. And the, the gentleman that was a houseman at, at where we were staying would take me out and we would go out and uh, get octopus or uh, find oysters right along, right, right off the coast. And that would be our, our dinner at night. And, and there was this whole sense of um, eating fresh fresh seafood having ceviche in the morning and a beer was like uh was just that's the way that's the way it went down yeah um and i also we we also found the little uh cabin like restaurants on the beach uh were were truly special i mean they had um probably when we were in olon which is a small another small beach town on the coast of uh, ecuador there was at least 10 to 20 different little cabin restaurants so you would go in they'd have like just one meal of the day ecuadorian style definitely ceviche some pork or 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 fried fish and uh to have that experience where you're looking at the pacific you're hanging out you walk 10 feet and you get this real rustic traditional ecuadorian meal was uh that was it was heavenly and they also had bars on the beach yeah (laughs) i am going i am absolutely going there um what's amazing about this book is you you mentioned it being a travel log it's more like a flavor map because you get to travel around and experience all these uh, amazing new sensations uh be heat uh be it citrus be it you know crispiness of the the pork absolutely and and what we want to do with the latin road home is really I want to transport you to all these different countries. And we broke the book up into uh, menus. So there's three weekday menus, and those are meant to be cooked in under an hour. And uh, meant to mostly are like one pot cooking. And then the weekend menu, which is broken up into cocktails, hors d'oeuvres, this, this grand like center of the table feast. And yeah, we want to bring you to Ecuador. We want it, we want you to at least experience through the Latin Road home, whether it's Ecuador, Peru, or Cuba, have that experience. Well, you mentioned home, and I think this is a, a great end to an exhausting and beautiful journey. Um, <laughs> you bring somebody else's home home with you because you, you talk about visiting these restaurants and maybe paladars are you know the opposite of it, but it feels like all the places you visited were so hospitable and so home and how you've translated that into all your restaurants in philly and around the country is is an amazing accolade to uh you know what you experience and how you feel about food well thank you very much and it's been a uh it's been a great great journey and i feel really fortunate to have been able to you know relay these experiences and really talk about the differences in culture and and through my restaurants through um through cookbook or even through some battles on iron chef where i usually like do mostly latin american slanted food for the audience and uh yeah, it's it's been it's it's been a lot of fun. What can I say? Excellent. We could cut out this last part because you don't want to offend anybody. But who makes the best empanadas? Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. the best empanadas I would have to say are Ecuadorian. I have to give yeah. that because my grandma, who's ninety one, still makes and I think the best empanada dough is not a flour based dough, but it is made from plantains and doesn't have any additional flour or butter. It's just straight cooked rice plantains that end up if you work the 
work the banana enough, it ends up having a nice glutinous texture and makes for a very crispy empanada dough. Excellent. And you have three different variations in the book. Yeah, uh, mostly inspired by Ecuador, but um, one is empanadas de viento, which is a flour-based uh, filled with cheese, kind of one for the kids that you know that I had them growing up. They were something I look forward to on Sunday afternoons. I'd be watching. I grew up in Chicago, watching a Bears game, and my mom would come with a big platter of these cheese-filled uh, puffs of uh, deliciousness. And then uh, the morocho dough, which is actually um, it's an interesting dough because it's made from uh, instant white corn flour. And the technique is is pretty tricky. You got to know how to work it, and you know got to know when to like turn them over. So as soon as the dough is made, uh, you put the filling in, let them set up. But it provides this really crispy texture from the corn flour. And the the verde compoyo. The verde is uh, my grandma's recipe. She she makes. Uh, Gosh, she can she can do about three hundred and and under two hours or so. She's that proficient at it. But it's made from a rice plantain and typically can be uh, filled with cheese. And we we give a recipe with some uh, braised chicken in it. Excellent. So the original and much better hot pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, and uh, they they are they're classic. But every Latin American country has their own version so the argentinians might uh their dough is a flour base but it's baked and it has uh just an egg wash and they'll usually do ham and cheese or ground beef uh the colombians will have this yellow corn dough that um is also crispy always chicken and the peruvians of course they have to like stick their nose in it <laughs> so, and there there's this uh, a lard based dough uh with um and gosh, I've seen it with braised, braised meat as well. So everyone has their own slant. And and the Spaniards, though, I got to say, they they do an empanada, but it's um, it's more of an open faced empanada. So I don't know. I you know I might say it's not doesn't qualify. <laughs> like I said, we can cut all this last part out so you don't offend anybody. Yeah. But I hope everyone bought their tickets uh, to go to all these countries and carry this book around with them. It's just a wonderful travelogue map. Thank you, Jose. Thank you so on. much. Thanks You've for You've been having listening me. to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, and we hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>